0: day and welcome to Blueprint for Clean Energy, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment or CBE. The Blueprint for Clean Energy webinar series invites leading practitioners and researchers in the field of clean energy to talk about the latest opportunities and developments in the corporate, nonprofit, and public-private arenas. My name is Lynn Tran, and on behalf of CBE, I want to thank you for joining us for today's webinar. The green network, connecting leaders in green finance to share best practices and increase green investment. Before we begin, we would like to remind our listeners that we welcome any questions you might have and we will direct them to our speakers towards the end of the talk. Please type questions directly into the GoToWebinar chat window throughout the presentation. It's my pleasure to introduce Jeff Schlubb, the Executive Director of the Coalition for Green Capital. And with that, Jeff, please take it away.
1: Thanks so much, Lynn, and uh, really thank you so much to the Yale Center for Business and the Environment for hosting this webinar. Uh, Yale is doing incredible work to advance the field of clean energy finance, not only by educating students, but also through the wonderful publication of the Clean Energy Finance Forum. So thank you so much uh, to you for hosting. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome so much. Uh, welcome to this uh, really exciting webinar. Uh, thrilled to be and uh, emceeing the event today. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Shubb, I'm the Executive Director of the Coalition for Green Capital, and I'm going to be facilitating uh, transitions for our speakers and managing the Q&A, uh, but really the, the speakers that were advertised in the uh, invitation are really here, uh, who we're here to listen to today. Uh, just for some background, uh, my organization, the Coalition for Green Capital, is a 501 nonprofit with a mission to rapidly grow clean energy markets through the creation of green bank finance institutions. So not surprisingly, we are thrilled to be working with the six founding members of the Green Bank Network uh, from around the world as well as the NRDC to launch the global platform that we're going to discuss today um, and so uh, with that let me uh, introduce our incredible lineup of speakers so uh, we can get right into the uh, to the heart of the webinar uh, you'll have uh, you'll have seen full uh, backgrounds on all of our speakers in the invitation uh, they're all very impressive and I, I won't go through through them all at length you can read the full backgrounds, but I'll give a brief introduction for each speaker uh, right now. Uh, First we'll have Reed Hunt, the Chief Executive Officer of the Coalition for Green Capital. He is the co-founder of our organization, founded in uh, 2009, and has been leading the Green Bank development efforts in the U.S. for the past seven years. Uh, Among many of his roles previously, he was the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission uh, during the 1990s, and he's also a Yale and Yale Law School alum. Uh, Then we'll have Doug Sims, the Director of Strategy and Finance at the Center for Market uh, Innovation at the Natural Resources Defense Council. Um, He works on a wide range of issues related to renewable energy deployment including green banks and green bonds. And prior to joining NRDC, Doug helped finance energy and infrastructure projects around the world as a project finance attorney. Then we'll have Michael Friedlander, the Managing Director at the New York Green Bank in charge of investment and portfolio management. Uh, he oversees uh, investment and portfolio management at the New York Green Bank with a focus on origination analysis structuring negotiation execution and ongoing portfolio management at the bank and prior to joining the New York Green Bank uh, Michael was the chief operating officer Chief and chief financial officer uh, and the Asia Pacific chief risk officer for APG asset management in Hong Kong a Dutch uh, pension asset manager with 309 billion euros in under management Then we'll hear from Gavin Templeton, the Head of Sustainable Finance at the UK Green Investment Bank, where he leads the green team at the bank. He's responsible for all of the organization's external and internal engagement on green issues and leads the sustainability element of of the green bank's work. And then finally we'll hear from Bert Hunter, uh, the Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Officer of the Connecticut Green Bank, where he leads the development of new and innovative financing programs at the bank. This includes a $60 million solar lease fund with U.S. Bank, a $10 million solar loan product crowdfunded with Mosaic, and a $70 million in commercial PACE loans, $30 million of which were securitized last year through a uh, very no worthy securitization. Uh, so obviously we have a tremendous amount of know-how and experience in the Green Bank world in all of our speakers today. So I think it's going to be a really rich and exciting discussion. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to uh, the CEO of the Coalition for Green Capital, Reed Hunt, uh, to set the context and really give us the stage uh, for uh, understanding where the Green Bank network come from, comes from and why it's uh, so important to the uh, clean energy finance movement. Uh, Reed,
2: I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Thank you, Lynn. Uh, I wonder if the slides could be advanced to page four. I'm only looking at the opening slide now. That's it, right there. Um, So my job, everybody, is to uh, set the table, and uh, the table is a table that has trillions of dollars on it. So here's the um, truly, truly big picture, rounding off to very big numbers. The global economy is about $80 trillion in GDP. In a good year, about 25 percent of that number is invested globally in everything that makes the world work. In a bad year, about 20 percent is invested. Uh, We've had some good years and some bad years over the last uh, 10 years, but the range has always stayed between 20 to 25 percent. One-tenth of that investment goes into energy. Uh, Roughly speaking, uh, about $2 trillion a year. The great majority of that global investment today goes into the carbon business. That investment is in the categories of looking for carbon, pulling it out of the ground, and burning it. It tends to be a very, very capital-intensive activity. And of course, it has two corollaries on a global level. Typically, the energy that is produced is not affordable for most people in the world, and also the impact on the environment is not affordable for anyone in the world. The goal uh, of everyone who uh, cares about improving the quality of life for everyone in the world and uh, having it be that we stop uh, climate change is not to reduce the total amount of investment. It is not to uh, impoverish uh, the world by uh, reducing the uh, standard of living. It is rather to switch the direction of that investment. $2 trillion a year is a good number uh, to be uh, uh, committed to energy investing on an annual basis, but it needs to be directed not to carbon but to the new clean power platform. Very, very specifically, we need to achieve a goal of having between $1 trillion and trillion of investment annually going into the new Clean Power Platform. That means, depending on how you count it, we have to either double, triple, or quadruple the existing investment. People can debate uh, exactly what the multiple is, but there isn't any uh, significant debate about the fact that the global investment in carbon really needs to become a global investment in the new clean power platform. This is the big switch. I know personally that this can happen for the following uh, reason in my own life. I became, uh, as Jeff said, the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission uh, 23 years ago, and at that time uh, global internet penetration was about 1% and global mobile penetration was less than 10%. At a rate of hundreds of billions of dollars of new investment per year, uh, the entire world built a completely new communications platform. By 2020, 80% of all adults in the world will have a smartphone and all those smartphones will produce internet access. In about 25 years, we will go, therefore, from very, very tiny penetration of mobile and of internet access to 80% of all adults in the world having both mobile access and also having mobility and stationary connectivity to the internet. That big switch in communications is the same in the order of magnitude as the big switch that we need in investment in energy. All big switches in all industries involve substituting the new for the old. All substitution has to be based on the idea that the new thing is faster, better, cheaper or it is completely brand new. It's not really possible to convince people that uh, Receiving electrons that are made uh, from the sun or from the wind is a different experience than receiving electrons that come from combustion. So we aren't going to be able to be selling globally a wholly new experience, although for those in the world who have no access to speak of, of energy, it is a wholly new thing if we can bring them renewable, clean power, because they don't, right now, have affordably any power at all. But for the substitution of the carbon world with the clean world, we have to be able to see that the new clean energy power platform is faster, better, cheaper. What does faster mean? Faster means that it can be deployed very quickly everywhere in the world. Better means that it's cleaner, and cheaper means that it actually is affordable. There are some problems that you have to throw money at. And one of the problems is the building of the new Clean Power Platform. The purpose of the uh, Global Green Bank Network uh, that the half-dozen green banks and NRDC and CGC are all partnered to create is in fact to achieve the new investment goals. And if you'll turn to the next slide, slide five, there you are, Uh, we'll see Uh, that we already have as existence proofs, the fact that the United Kingdom Green Investment Bank is already bringing in public and private capital at this very handsome ratio of three times as much private money for every public dollar, and similarly the Connecticut Green Bank, which is the first of the state green banks in the United States, it dates back to 2010, that has increased clean energy investment, public and private together by nearly four times in three years, the same four times that we want to see occur on a global level. So if we take a look at the achievement in Connecticut, Bert will talk to you later about that in more detail, we can see that if you extrapolate from Connecticut, which happily, the math is pretty easy, Connecticut is 1% of the population of the United States, so you multiply its numbers by 100, and what you see is in the green on this slide you'd see that we in the United States would be observing that $200 billion would be invested annually within five years. The United States is roughly a fifth of the global economy, so if you continue to extrapolate on an international level to a total global figure, if the success achieved in five years in Connecticut were extrapolated globally, it would mean that the global investment in the new Clean Power Platform is. This is the punchline, this is a really nice punchline, it is a trillion dollars. So if the Connecticut Green Bank continues at the current rate, and if its techniques in fact could be adopted on the global level, problem solved. We know that of course Connecticut has a lot to learn from the United Kingdom, and if you'll turn to the next page, whoever's running the slides. You can see that Connecticut has a lot to learn from the United Kingdom, Japan, New York, Malaysia, Australia, the other members of the Global Green Bank Network. And maybe the single truth here that ought to be asserted is that all of the founding green banks look forward to the opportunity to learn from each other. Uh, This Green Bank Network was announced last December in Paris, but it was the result of about two years of meetings under the uh, stewardship of the OECD in Paris. Uh, We had Al Gore, we had Tom Steyer, we had many people on the phone today at these meetings. We've now launched this Green Bank network. The goal is very, very clear. The mathematics that we've already seen in the UK and Connecticut make it pretty clear that we can achieve this goal. We ought to be filled with optimism and uh, we ought to all enthusiastically get to work. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Reed, for those uh,
1: really excellent comments. And uh, you, know, you make the math seem very simple and the tasks seem easy. So it's, it's helpful to have the, the framing and the context um, that shows really that the, the tools that are needed and the techniques needed are, are available and that the capital is there. It's a matter of scaling and deploying some of these techniques more broadly around the world. Uh, so thank you again, Reed, for for setting the context. Uh, now I'm uh, happy to turn it over to Doug Sims of NRDC who uh, can go into a little bit more detail about the Green Bank Network itself. Uh, take it away, Doug. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Reed, for those inspiring comments.
3: Uh, I'm gonna take a few minutes to talk about the Green Bank Network and some ideas that uh were its genesis. Next slide, next slide, please. Um so, so briefly on NRDC, NRDC is a global environmental organization, um, been around since 1970 working on a full suite of environmental energy issues and since around 2010 collaborating with CGC on green bank concepts. So as Reed, as Reed was saying, um, we've been involved with developing green banks and recognize that a real way to leverage them was through a network and that's kind of where this idea got started. So we've covered, I think, all these concepts. uh, So I won't go into them in any detail. But the clean power, clean power platform does require investment shifts, um, and they require some shifts in thinking about energy investments. So, for example, thinking about upfront capital costs only to life cycle costs, um, where you see savings and less volatility over time from less from less volatile fuel costs. We're going to see. As well, a uh, shift from energy investment towards emerging markets, um, away from the traditional European and, and the North American economies, as those economies grow, and that raises new challenges for finance because those markets oftentimes are not as, as as deep or as mature or as liquid. The credit story is changing, and that distributed resources are going to become more are becoming more and more common, um, where we lack traditional credit ratings, where we lack access to capital. Um, that's reasonably priced or available at all. And then of course for the large technologies to really help us uh, make huge progress in displacing and replacing fossil fuel, we need to have innovation come online more quickly and at scale. So things like offshore wind need to be brought online quickly and methodically. But right now there's a limited number of firms and lenders with the capital and experience to execute. Next slide please. So what is a green bank? The OECD just defines a green bank as a public or, or quasi-public entity established specifically to facilitate private investment into the, into the domestic low-carbon climate infrastructure. As we'll see um, in some of our later comments, the domestic part may be changing. Some green banks like the U.K. are investing internationally and we expect that um, some of the work we'll do in the network will facilitate further activities of that kind. So the, the central idea of green banks is to crowd in capital, not crowd it out, um, to meet the uh, the sizable capital capital demands that Reid was outlining. Next slide, please. So green banks are up and running, um, and the transition requires innovations in finance, which they're achieving right now. Uh, the changes that are occurring are disrupting BAU in many levels, both in the structure of markets and the structure of finance, and we don't have the time to allow the, the regular sort of life cycle of finance to occur and still meet our, our investment goals. So green banks work to accelerate the transition to a new BAU um, by reducing real and perceived risks by driving development of underwriting criteria of new technologies, um, performance standards, new products, standardized contracts, and also aggregation vehicles. They are market transformative in that they play a role that either the public sector or the private sector are are, are traditionally constituted or prepared to fill because of um, their their inherent limitations. As a public policy matter, they create value um, by by transitioning away from grants and having that money to be reinvested and leveraged um, over time. Next slide, please. But they could be making more success more quickly. Um, if they add connective tissue, bringing the experiences of the banks together. Uh, so, as we said, there's, there's a lot of things happening all around the world um, in Asia, in North America, South America, Africa, Europe. Um, really, really custom-built, locally appropriate, but you know, internationally uh, tr- transferable PPP public-private partnerships that allow um, markets to grow more rapidly. But right now, there's really no way to track what's happening and to to, to to record it and utilize it in other markets where it also may be effective in achieving the same goals. Next slides, next slide, please. So the Green Bank Network creates that connective tissue and and fills an a, a clear demand and and a need. Um, and by what it, what it does is it engages in what we call in our little. Um, growing group, open source banking. It's really taking what traditionally is information that's slow to get to the market, and collecting it, and as it's developed and sharing it with market participants to really accelerate the transformation of the market in a much more a rapid time frame. Um, key in this idea is um, standardization of contracts and structures that reduces risk. Investors don't like um, novelty; they like things that are the same, that are investable, that, that are proven to work. Um, also the standardization facilitates aggregation of small assets and if you are a new market entrant and you decide to adhere to these new standards you will be able to um, access commercial finance more quickly. So also facilitates that. So to get these results they need a, a platform required to collaborate more quickly and systematically. And by investing in a, a going effort you focus attention and efforts and leverage what you've already been investing in to drive down costs further next slide please so so far we've been we've been talking to our members and there's a lot of interest in a lot of different areas here are some of them I won't walk through all of them but this really covers the full suite of what banks do from um, financing strategies deal structures risk management um, there's some there's some green specifics here like um, how do you measure green performance? How do you monitor and verify? Um, how do you how do you actually create demand for things like energy efficiency, which are hard to create demand for? How do you deploy first of its kind, of, second of its kind of technologies that are new to a jurisdiction um, in a way that um, is is minimizing the risk? There's also a real interest in this understanding the um, special sauce in deals, and that means the qualitative information of deals, the case studies, which show how things got done, how how um, the companies were surmounted. And there's a real desire to see what's happening um, on, across green investments globally, aggregating data. So the network will make the information available, it will curate it, it will, it will organize it in multiple formats for sharing through various media, the web, newsletters, convenings, research, et cetera. Next slide, please. So where are we now in 2016? GBN is building its infrastructure. Um, NRDC and CGC are, are working with the founding banks to through an iterative process to figure out what are the successful and, um, and, and less successful uh, networks out there we can, that we can learn from. What are the governance structures that the banks should be using to make a, a fluid and effective organization? What are the most important things that banks need help on and are prepared to share um, experiences on? And figuring out through surveys and through market studies um, that are underway is how we're achieving that. Importantly, having a, a web identity that effectively um, delivers on these on these goals, and we just launched uh, today our landing page at, at at the at the address you can see on your screen. Critically, engaging key partners. Um, there's Green Finance Windows, in many institutions around the world. Um, in the U.S., there's many. Uh, uh, in California and other ones in New York and in the Midwest. Um, of course, the development finance institutions around the world have been lending um, this way for, for, for many years. Um, our efforts now are to out, uh, engage in outreach to those institutions and, and collect um, their best practices and, 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 and their participation in helping accelerate this process um, uh, to, be, to have the, ma- the maximum global reach. And then we'll have traditional convenings um, where we identify areas for further research based on what, what the market sees as a need. Next slide, please. So this is a representation of what the Green Bank Network is. The new nexus of best practices in green finance. To the right, you have the other founding members. And of course, there's a parenthetical saying others on the bottom because there will be ways for other, other folks to get involved once the infrastructure is, is is more established and the governance structure is um, more clearly, clearly defined. But essentially there will be a platform to link the public and private sectors, um, research and thought leadership, and best practices um, to really accelerate the transition to um, a, a green uh, power platform. Now, next slide, please. So um, there will be more information at the end of this presentation, but in the meantime um, we have. A, for aforementioned web page, we have a Twitter handle. Or reach out to Jack or myself. We can we can direct and then we can
1: direct you and to the proper proper person. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doug, for that really excellent and detailed overview of uh, where things stand now with the uh, creation and development of the Green Bank Network. Uh, very excited to have uh, the website up for people to visit and um, to provide uh, contact information if you're interested in uh, learning more and being part of the. Uh, the discussion around uh, building and developing this network. So please uh, do check it out. Um, now we're going to uh, turn to the discussion with the Green Bank practitioners that we have with us today. We're really lucky to have three of the leaders of the Green Bank industry with us. Uh, and the first one is Michael Friedlander of the New York Green Bank. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. We have uh, – <laughs> I apologize the order was changed. Uh, we have Gavin Templeton from the UK Green Investment Bank. Uh, and uh, I'll let uh, Gavin take it away.
4: Uh, thanks very much, uh, Jeff. Firstly, I'd like to offer my thanks to Reid and Jeff at CGC for providing their support, as well as Doug at NRDC, I think has been invaluable in getting uh, the Green Bank Network going. And also my thanks to Yale uh, for hosting this webinar. So first, I'm going to provide some background on who we are and what our job is at the UK Green Investment Bank. Then I'll provide information on our activities in terms of both the different sectors where we invest and the type of investors that we invest alongside. Then I'll discuss some of the ways we've been able to innovate in our markets. And finally, I'll talk a little bit about our future. But first, why? Why was the UK Green Investment Bank set up? Well, the UK had signed up to various pieces of legislation around reducing carbon emissions, increasing renewable energy generation and reducing waste going to landfill. So the government of the time decided the opportunity presented by our green and profitable business model could more efficiently finance and secure the transition to the greener economy. So who are we? Well we're now three and a half years old. Currently we are 100 percent owned by the UK government. Uh, We are currently undergoing uh, the process of being privatised but you'll understand that I can't really comment on that process but you'll find a wealth of information on our website if that is of interest. We were set up with seed capital provided by the UK Government amounting to 3.8 billion pounds to invest in green projects. And as we have received state money we can only invest in line with the European state aid rules which dictate that we must be additional, that is to say, we must be needed in a transaction for it to proceed, and we have to be commercial. We cannot offer capital that would undermine the competition in the market, but our capital is flexible. We can invest in debt, we can invest in equity, or funds, and also we're flexible on the tenor of that lending. We are tasked with mobilising the private sector and accelerating the UK's transition to a green economy. We number around 120 employees split around our head office between our head office in Edinburgh where I am currently sitting and the main transaction office in London with around 85 specialist investors and technical experts. And whilst we are owned by the government, we are entirely independent with a board chaired by the esteemed Lord Smith of Kelvin next slide. So our job well it might be stating the obvious but We only invest in projects where they are both green and profitable. Not green or profitable, but green and profitable. And as I previously mentioned, we are here to mobilise the private sector. Our capital on its own will not be enough. The capital gap identified in the UK to meet our targets was something like £160 billion until 2020. So we must crowd in the private sector. We are also unashamedly commercial. The capital we need will not be invested unless we can show the market that it is possible to be both green and profitable. That is a challenge which is replicated across the world. I also mentioned that we are restricted where we can invest, so we can only invest where there has been a market failure. So we have four main investment areas, those being offshore wind, waste and bioenergy, energy efficiency and onshore renewables. Next slide, please. So, where are we now? Well, so far we have committed £2.6 billion of the £3.8 billion into 74 projects, mobilising £10.6 billion in total to support UK green infrastructure. As Reid said at the start, that is three pounds of private sector investment for every one pound of GIB capital, and we've invested in every part of the UK and in all our sectors. Our projects have ranged from capital of £100,000 for smaller energy efficiency projects to over £1.5 billion for one of our large offshore wind investments. We have set up eight funds with £510 million across our sectors to reach the smaller end of the market. And we have had significant green impact. On renewable energy, the lifetime generation of our assets when they're constructed will be something like 356 terawatt hours. That is equivalent to supplying 4.6 million UK homes a year. That is equivalent to the domestic demand in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. On greenhouse gases, our lifetime savings will amount to something like 80.9 million tons. That is equivalent to taking 2.1 million cars off the road for each year our assets are operating, equivalent to removing all the cars from Wales. And on landfill, over the life of our investments we will avoid 55.1 million tonnes going to landfill. That is the equivalent of 2.2 million homes in the UK. That's equivalent to all the local authority waste in London and the southeast of England. Next slide please. And we are attracting new investors. Some of those investors who have never previously invested in UK green infrastructure. And the total number of investors is approaching something like 100 now. And you can see them on your screen now. And you will recognise a lot of those as household names. So new co-investors in the past year include BlackRock, who are partnering with GIB in an offshore wind transaction. Also, Greater Manchester and Strathclyde local pension funds, who are investing alongside us in a small-scale onshore renewable energy fund. Our role to de-risk the sector for other private sector investors is working. Next slide, please. And you can see that on this slide. After three and a half years of operation, we are now a key part of the UK's green economy in the sectors where we are mandated to invest. When GIB was set up, it was often said that if GIB was involved in your project, there was something wrong with your project. People now ask if GIB is not involved in your project, well, there's something wrong with it. So from 2012 through the past four years in the areas where we can invest, we were involved in just under half the projects in 2012-13 to nearly three quarters of all projects in the past year. Next slide. So, we are making a difference. From replacing oil-fired generation with sustainable biomass and whiskey distilleries in Scotland, some of my favourite projects, to on-farm anaerobic digestion in Northern Ireland. From offshore wind farms off the north coast of Wales, to energy efficiency in poultry farms across England, we are making a difference. We are creating jobs and we're supporting the smaller end of the market. Our technical and sector expertise is showing that by our participation, we are able to de-risk the sector, lowering the cost of capital in the sectors where we invest. And as we de-risk, we can also attract longer-term investors, such as the pension funds I just mentioned, many of whom have never invested in our sectors, but are attracted by the long-term predictable yields and the assets where we invest. Next slide, please. So now, moving on to innovation. First off, GIB's role in the very early days in assisting the UK government to list the first yield co on the London Stock Exchange. Now, yield cores are companies formed to own operating assets, and they're important because they allow a wider variety of investors to gain exposure to green infrastructure as an asset class. So Greencoat Capital was the first of its kind in the UK and since that original £260 million investment, we have seen another £2.1 billion pounds worth of uh, yield listed on the London Stock Exchange, a great example of the catalytic effect of GIB. Next slide, please. We've also innovated in financing new technologies. So the aircraft you can see in that picture is actually the Airbus A380. And that is the Siemens six megawatt turbine, which is planted offshore. So GIB invested alongside our partners, Dong and Manu Beni in the first commercial deployment of this turbine. This is the first time that GIB had taken an equity stake during the construction phase of a project. These turbines are more efficient and can reliably capture more of the available wind energy, driving down generation costs. This project went into commercial
5: operation in June of last year. Next slide please. And a
4: great example of this is our green loan product which is designed for the public sector energy efficiency market. Noteworthy as a spend to save model, the repayment can be sculpted so the borrower only starts repaying the loan once the energy savings have started to accrue. The product itself works perfectly for the LED street lighting sector, where we have been growing the market in the UK and recently closed our third transaction using the green loan. Now, as LED street lights save up to eight energy costs with the associated carbon savings, they are winners both financially and environmentally. Next slide, please. And back on the technology slide, we took a stake in uh, first-of-its-kind gasification facility. This is one is for waste wood. The Birmingham Biopower project was the first time the Nextera technology actually came from North America. It had been used in the UK, and GIB played a key role in supporting both an equity stake via one of our fund managers and a debt stake. As with all our transactions, more details can be found on our website. Next slide, please. So we're investing profitably, absolutely key to what we do, with returns ranging from 5% for senior debt up to 14% on equity. And with that debt equity balance, we're already earning income, with the majority of the equity investments in construction. All investments are performing well with a portfolio return of around 10% IRR. Now projecting forward two years with all the projects built and operational, i.e. even if we did nothing else, our income is expected to be between something like 35 to £40 million pounds, and its costs below £25 million they are well down on industry averages. So it is a profitable business and a green business and it is this story that we believe can mobilise the private sector further. We've also reached second close on our offshore wind fund which is investing in operating offshore wind assets crowding in pension funds and sovereign wealth funds to a sector where many have never invested before. Its current size of just over £800 million makes it the largest renewable energy fund in Europe. Next slide, please. So what comes next? Well, we like to keep it quite simple. We want to do more. We are planning to keep investing, we're planning to keep innovating and we're planning to keep on growing. And we're going to broaden our role to invest in more and more sectors and more and more geographies. An example on the next slide. We're expanding internationally. In March of last year, we announced the formation of a joint venture with the UK government to take our green and profitable business model to emerging markets. The initial pilot is for £200 million over the next three years, investing in India, South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania and Rwanda. Once again, every project will be green and every project will be profitable. Once again, we are there to de-risk the investments, to crowd in the private sector. We are confident we can have similar success to what we have achieved in the UK. Next slide, please. And finally, our green impact opinion. Green assessment, monitoring and reporting are integrated throughout our investment life cycle. As investors we take the green performance of our investments equally as seriously as we take the financial performance. So we have created a methodology for calculating the green performance, the green impact of our investments. We didn't find the necessary tools we were seeking in the market so we decided to create them ourselves, a consistent and robust methodology. These are summarised in our green investment handbook and our approach is gaining traction amongst investment community who are keen to use our methods. After international attention we've now translated the handbook into Mandarin and Spanish and all three versions can be found on our website. We created a green profit and loss and green balance sheet. The green profit and loss calculates the green impact generated by our operating assets. The green balance sheet shows our future forecast savings. We created a green risk system to assess the risk of not delivering the expected green impact. We look at impacts across a variety of metrics including emissions and air quality. And now we're going to start offering this green impact opinion as a service to other investors who wish to do green like the Green Investment Bank and share the impact of environmental benefits of their investments with their stakeholders, created by investors for investors. Ultimately we believe that projects which have a larger green impact will be more valued by investors and by applying the rigour we have applied to over £10 billion worth of UK green infrastructure we can start to bring more clarity on the question of how green is your investment across projects, funds and bonds. Thank you very much. Thank you so much Gavin for
1: that really spectacular overview of uh, the incredible work that your organisation is doing. At tremendous scale deploying new technologies, and in addition to uh, you know, taking on innovative investment opportunities, the uh, green measurement techniques you discussed at the end really highlight the kinds of leadership that green banks are, are are taking around the world and really ought to be shared more broadly, which I think the Green Bank Network is really well uh, positioned to do going forward. Uh, so thank you so much, and now, now I will ask uh, Michael Freelander from the New York Green Bank to uh, uh, discuss his work at that or, uh, organization which is really um, taking some big steps forward with some new uh, investment uh, in the last quarter and so uh, I'll hand it over to Michael.
6: Yeah thank you good afternoon um, if you could move on to the next slide. Uh, basically over the next few minutes what I wanted to do is really talk uh, parse my, my talk into three principal areas. First I wanted to discuss a little bit the regulatory or the legislative environment that we operate in and how we came to be. Then the second part, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how we do business within that environment. And third and finally, I want to talk, uh, give some examples of some of the projects that we've been involved in, specifically some of the wind uh, things that, we, that we've been doing recently. If you could uh, move forward uh, two slides. Uh, so within the regulatory environment or the legislative environment that that we operate in uh, pretty much the over the course of the last uh, 18 months or two years in particular uh, the executive office of the, the governor has really been introducing some groundbreaking regulatory reform and uh, the the principle under which we call that is, is called REV, which is uh, reforming the energy vision. And there within the – it's a very broad, far-reaching uh, – it has a number of large goals, uh, which in part uh, include having uh, more than 50 percent of the energy in, in the state of New York uh, being produced by renewables, uh, as well as expanding the reach of the renewable network into uh, segments uh, of the New York Society that don't currently have access to it. So there, there's a, quite a few different elements that are involved in there. One of those is, in particular, the Clean Energy Fund, CEF, uh, of which the New York Green Bank is one of the uh, pillars of, of that group. Uh, if you could go on the next slide, please. Um, within the uh, CEF, the New York Green Bank was uh, was funded with a billion dollars of New York State-sponsored um, monies, uh, for which um, the intent and the purpose of it was was to use the New York Green Bank to, to as was said before, crowd in private the private sector uh, money, specifically with the purpose of providing a bridge to alleviate some of the financing gaps, which clean energy market. Uh, as some of the other speakers have, have noted, we try to uh, ensure that we are. Uh, uh, Market-based. Uh, we we don't want to be in a situation where the, where we're providing subsidized uh, cash or subsidized capital for projects, and we also want to be in a situation where we're being responsive to needs that have been identified within the market. And just from the whole standpoint of leveraging our, ourselves for the future, the idea is, is to be able to focus in on projects and and financing. Opportunities that represent transformations to the market, uh, so so that we're pr- providing a, a bit of a leverage opportunity, not only for our capital but for the know-how and for the bridging uh, function that that we were chartered to provide. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the biggest issues is reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And again, finally, uh, mobilizing uh, private sector capital uh, within the New York clean energy markets. Uh, if, you, if you could uh, move on to the next slide, uh, next slide as well, please. I'm sorry. Um, so again um, we we try to be responsive to needs that are, are within the market. we originally, when we were uh, chartered and we began operations uh, in two thousand and fifteen, we sent out a couple of requests for proposals into the marketplace, basically asking the private sector to come to the green bank with your with your requests for financing and for for funding uh, The broad categories of capital solutions that we intend to offer, you can really fit into sort of the typical type of buckets that you might expect any bank uh, to, to offer. First of all, uh, credit enhancement. So in an in a ideal world or in a perfect situation where there's a project where there is uh, private capital that's already been identified, but for uh, perhaps some concerns regarding the credit risk or the credit quality of some of the participants involved, uh, they can come to the New York Green Bank and we offer a credit enhancement. And a credit enhancement can fit into any one of a host of number of buckets, uh, ranging from a, a on-balance sheet credit guarantee. It could be a, a, something as simple as a letter of credit, and it could uh, go as far as uh, we've been requested and discussed, uh, funding uh, cash within bankrupt remote uh, entities to which uh, uh, the decedent could conceivably draw on in the event of a credit uh, credit event, so we, we view ourselves that that's a, a high high leverage opportunity and activity for us, where we are simply there uh, backstopping places for private capital to come in the other area that we've been quite active in is in warehousing and aggregation facilities uh where the market may not necessarily have a large appetite for a number of very small one-off projects but in situation and particularly for may, maybe many small uh developers that are just in the business or perhaps just starting out in new york we provide uh facilities and the ability for many of these one-off or or smaller community projects to come together in such a scale where then, by by way of our participation, those projects uh, are, are Coming together and coalescing into a bigger facility or into a bigger uh, package, to which then the private sector uh, might be interested in terms of uh, taking out, uh, taking us out uh, for for a longer term investment. Uh, of course, we can do uh, term funding um, and uh, equity funding, um, and in some cases we've been involved uh, where with composite products, where we might offer a, a credit enhancements facility on a on a senior loan. And then as well coming in uh, to backstop some of the tax equity, uh, uh, tax equity uh, investors that might be involved in a in a project. And in terms of pricing, uh, we we sort of see as there's two forces at play uh, when it comes to pricing. Uh, first of all, we we think that we have we're in a position to really understand and underwrite uh, project and project risks. Um, we're we're where we're willing and able to take the time to truly understand and truly understand those risks and actually uh, reflect the pricing in terms of a risk-adjusted return, but then, of course, we go into the marketplace to try to find comparables and uh, commercial identify what are the commercial expectations for pricing of those types type of risks. At the end of the day, we are a division of NYSERDA, which is part of the executive uh, branch of the government, and so we have to consistently and constantly be able to demonstrate that we're being a prudent steward of, of ratepayer funds, which are ultimately the source of our, our funding. But as I mentioned, the whole concept is is that we come in and we're catalyzing the, uh, catalyzing the bringing in of other uh, private capital uh, and and uh, demonstrating how these type of investments uh, are potentially attractive on a bigger scale. Next slide, please. Um, at the end of the day, uh, our, our investment criteria, credit uh, quality, is, is paramount, and that is the principal uh, element that we are looking at when we're evaluating, structuring, and negotiating our our investments. Uh, As I mentioned already, uh, we we try to Try to set our rates at uh, market rates for comparable and commercial uh, types of transactions, based on the risk. Uh, we again, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to facilitate or catalyze a market transformation uh, where a particular technology or a particular type of uh, transaction uh, um, may not have been able to get footing uh, in the in the marketplace place but for uh, scale or or but for having had some demonstration. uh, We like to be in a position where we can create that situation and create that track record such that on a going forward basis the the market would be comfortable and there's a track record and there's an ability for uh, other banks and other financial uh, counterparties to be able to uh, be comfortable coming in and making those type of investments uh, going forward. And of course, uh, clean energy. Uh, we've spoken about uh, market transformation already um, and scalability. Again, it uh, has been spoken about on, on this call uh, several times already. Uh, there's clearly a situation uh, where there's a number of, of opportunities out there. There's many, many places for private sector capital to come in, and ultimately, we are trying to put ourselves in a situation where we are creating and demonstrating projects that uh, can be scalable and uh, can be taken up by the private sector. Next slide, please. Uh, next slide, please. So basically, I just wanted to, at this point, talk about uh, some of the deals that we've been involved in. Um, we we principally have been looking at over the last uh, year or so uh, two two segments: energy efficiency and re- renewables. Uh, we we have had some opportunity to look in at a few battery storage projects. We've had an opportunity to look at some biomass projects, uh, but the the ones that uh, that seem to be in demand in the marketplace today are energy efficiency and renewables. Uh, we. And you have here a couple of, of examples of, of some of the projects that we're involved in. We've been involved in energy efficiency both at a uh, at a residential level as well as at a commercial industrial level. Uh, Renew Financial is a uh, is a uh, financing facility that was made available for homeowner energy efficiency projects uh, across the northeastern part of the United States. And this facility here was a situation. Uh, uh, for uh, homeowners across uh, New York State to make energy efficiency improvements uh, in in their home. Uh, we have uh, another facility that we're currently evaluating uh, where it will be uh, en- energy efficiency for uh, what's traditionally been the uh, municipal utility schools and hospital networks as well as for uh, small-scale commercial industrial. Um, again the residential uh transactions are are usually uh fico based uh where we're looking at uh pools of of individual homeowner credits and trying to underwrite the uh, homeowner credits where in the commercial industrial or the the larger scale uh uh projects uh we're looking at uh, portfolios of of commercial credit there on the renewable energy uh, front we've been involved in uh, several different type of projects uh, uh uh, level solar uh, and some of our other solar projects are residential rooftop, and because of legislation that's occurred in New York over the last several years, uh, community solar is is picking up a, a lot of uh, a lot of interest from developers, um, and you can see uh, those those two projects there. Next slide, please. So I wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, some of our, our wind transactions, uh, two that I wanted to highlight in particular and and bring to you or demonstrate to you some of the uh, interesting twists on these projects that uh, might otherwise uh, have, these projects might not have otherwise been able to get financed in a traditional project uh, financing sense. A United Wind was a, a construction loan for a portfolio of wind turbines, small, smaller wind turbines that were going to be deployed uh, on private farms uh, in, in upstate New York. There was a uh, developer who was going around um, to, to these farms and proposing to set up these uh, uh, wind, uh, wind turbines. Uh, this was a situation where these uh, family farms, many have been around for for uh, many generations, uh, the family farms, being uh, private businesses, uh, don't have a lot of um, uh, credit background and credit history in in order where you could uh, typically go out and securitize that. So this was a uh, construction uh, loan to go out and um, obviously con- construct the wind turbines, create a portfolio of 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 wind turbines, and the idea then was, was that to consolidate them into a larger uh, book, from which then it could be uh, securitized. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, this uh, the the merchant exposed wind farm there on the right on the right hand side. Uh, this was a combination of a construction loan plus a term loan. Uh, the The issue here was. Um, this project had a very large, uh, one very large off taker, um, but because of the size of the project, uh, we were not able to find a situation where the debt could be paid back uh, within the time frame of of the PPA that the counterparty was willing to take. Uh, that the counterparty was willing to sign the contract for. So, this was a situation where the term of the project extended well beyond the term of the PPA. And again, in traditional project finance, that would be a situation that would be very, very difficult to finance. Uh, so the New York Green Bank stepped in and basically was in a situation to underwrite uh, not only the the construction and the uh, front end of the term, but as well be able to take on the risks associated with the stub end of the loan that went out past the initial term of the of the PPA. In both cases here, a situation where you have a bunch of small uh, wind projects that were being uh, just built for counterparties that had limited or no credit history, and on the other end where the wind project term was out beyond the PPA or for which we would have future power prices uh, that we could use to underwrite the risk. Uh, these are situations where the New York Green Bank was able to step in, get her head wrapped around the risk. Uh, I uh, take that, that risk uh, wrap it with market-based risk return pricing and go back and make these two wind uh, projects work where it would have been almost impossible to get these projects uh, funded via typical and traditional project financing. Next slide please. Um, And these are just some examples of some of the different projects that we have going on right now. Um, I've mentioned a lot of these already. Uh, Energy services where uh, the the payment stream is being uh is being used to securitize a pay as you save type of a of of a agreement where the capital investment goes in up front and then the savings are are used to pay the initial investment uh community solar i've mentioned already uh micro microgrids are a big part of the original rev um and so there's a lot of work going on on revs uh going going on 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 microgrid and different elements of microgrid um uh, battery storage, uh, particularly in a very dense, uh, demand-limited uh, region such as uh, New York City, uh, battery storage is getting uh, a whole lot of uh, interest. As is uh, CHP uh, across uh, across New York City. Next slide, please. So basically, the way you work with the New York Green Bank is: is we have a open solici- solicitation, uh, an open solicitation. Window on our web portal. Uh, We have a couple of outstanding RFPs and we're constantly uh, in the process of uh, developing more to put them out there where developers or individuals can go to the website, they can put together a project proposal, submit it to us. Generally speaking, we uh, grade the project proposal in accordance with the criteria that I've mentioned before. Uh, We get back to the proposer generally within uh, seven business days uh, with regard to whether or not and if uh, the project proposal meets our our evaluation criteria, um, and at which point in time then uh, it's a very straightforward due diligence process, an underwriting process, and then ultimately a funding. And that's all that I have to share for today.
1: Thank you so much, Michael, for that really wonderful overview of the New York Green Bank and some of the first projects you you all are rolling out. And I think it's interesting to see the the different models that green banks are taking around the world. And as you said, the the market reactive approach uh, that the New York Green Bank has taken is is a really uh, interesting model that I think would be really valuable for a lot of other uh, potential organizations around the world to to adopt. And it's a good way to keep your finger on the pulse of what exactly the market needs and how the green bank can can fill the market gaps. Um, and then, uh, finally, last but last, uh, last but not least, I will turn it over to uh, Bert Hunter from the Connecticut
5: Green Bank. Thank you, Jeff, uh, and good morning, everyone. Jeff, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Great, perfect. Um, so, first off, I'm delighted to be with you this morning, or actually this afternoon, to share uh, the stage with Reed, Doug, Gavin, and Michael. Lots going on in the U.K. and uh, in New York in the clean energy space. It's fantastic to hear about the progress that these uh, two green banks are, are making and uh, and ever so thankful for the work that the CGC and the NRDC are doing to help establish the, uh, the Green Bank Network. So thanks very much. Next slide please. Uh, so I'll be talking about some of the ways that Connecticut Green Bank has worked with other lenders and investors on a co-investment basis, but before I do so, I'll offer up some context about the uh, Connecticut Green Bank, uh, a bit about how we structure our programs and products to crowd in private investment and deploy green energy projects. You've heard a lot this morning about the catalyzing effect of, of green banks, and we hope to uh, show you that uh, we're, we're doing our share there. Uh, then after we take a closer look at a few co-investment structures, I'll touch on the impacts we're having and point uh, you to where you can find out more information on that score since we have a limited amount of time uh, today. Next slide, please. So what is the Connecticut Green Bank? Um, So we're the first state-level Green Bank in the US, thanks to our Governor Malloy, pictured here, and support from the Coalition for Green Capital. They worked with the legislature to bring the Green Bank forward as a part of major energy uh, legislation in 2011. This with the idea being that the old incentive model isn't sufficient to really move the needle in reducing energy consumption intensity and achieving a meaningful reduction in carbon emissions. It will take a significant amount of capital investment to get us there, as Reed mentioned earlier on, capital that the public sector just does not have, but which exists in the private sector in in ample supply. But as we know, The uh, public sector, particularly through green banks, can play a catalytic role in getting that private capital into the market, as you've already heard this morning from uh, both uh, Gavin and Michael. Next slide, please. So we're a quasi-public organization, and as our CEO, Brian Garcia, likes to say, it's an organization with public sector goals and private sector discipline. We can raise capital through bond issuances and an array of structures, a few of which we'll explore here today. We can establish a special purpose entity, the SPEs, to protect lenders and investors, secure collateral and cash flows, as well as, uh, as appropriate, limit recourse to the Green Bank for its own protection. Our focus is to finance clean energy writ large, so we include energy efficiency in that definition. And our balance sheet at $130 million has roughly doubled in the last three years as we have seen the Green Bank model take hold here in Connecticut. We're supported by a charge on most electric bills in Connecticut with the exception of some municipal uh, utilities which have a small share of the market, as well as uh, revenues from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative or REGI, a regional cap and trade system. We also have other sources that we can pull from such as the federal government and uh, some foundation funds. We've been successful at that. So together our Green Bank and supported by about 30 million or so in annual revenues, which we then put into the market with our investment partners. Next slide, please. So um, I've actually spoken enough about what we do, so let's keep flipping to the next slide, please. So part of our structure is a board of directors, 11 strong. Uh, Reed Hunt is actually one of those directors. You see him up there, second down on the right. Um, And roughly a quarter of the board is held by those who have other the positions in the Connecticut government. The rest are appointments from both sides of the political aisle. We're glad that we have support from the Rs as well as the Ds. So we have a range of views that come together to offer advice and counsel. Next slide, please. We're organized internally around four verticals shown here, covering homeowners, businesses, and the public sector. And there are about 50 of us that work for the Green Bank. Next slide, please. So With the background established, let's take a look at the products and programs of the Green Bank on that next slide, which is where you are. So the Green Bank uh, participates in the market in four main ways. We do still run an incentive program uh, for solar for homeowners. Most of these incentives go to third-party owners like SolarCity, Sonova, Posigen, Direct Energy and the like. Uh, Next, uh, the second you'll see there is, which we'll explore in more detail, we co-invest with private capital through many structures and programs. Third, we offer credit support, as shown here uh, with our, as an example of that, our Smart E Energy Efficiency and Solar PV Loan Program. We offer with 10 lenders throughout the state, Uh, the support has enabled these lenders to push maturities for unsecured loans to homeowners out to 12 years with uh, bundled incentive rates at just under 3% for 10 years uh, with when homeowners combine more than one measure, say solar with insulation or solar with windows. It's a great product, driving a lot of volume. Finally, we're able to use our balance sheet to establish warehouse funding. You you heard the uh, New York Green Bank talk uh, a little bit about that. Uh, so we've done the same. Uh, we've done this in combination with co-investment to, volume of activity as we'll see on the next slides. Next slide please. So this is uh, just uh, shows you what's possible when you get a green bank involved in markets. You'll see here following our launch in 2011 volume started to accelerate even as we drove down the incentive levels uh, in residential solar. You, uh, you see major upswing, swings in 2014 and 2015, which coincided with our Solar Loan, Solar Lease, and Smart E programs all coming up to speed. I do have to uh, point out that Solar City came into the market as well, so more than just the Green Bank was uh, at work here, but we are definitely a significant part of the story. Next slide, please. The same with uh, our CPACE program. We are now north of $80 million in closed projects. Next slide, please. And some uh, good diversity on the project side with a bit more than half going to solar and the rest going to energy efficiency or a combination of uh, of projects. Size-wise, we average about $700,000 per project. We're also home to the largest C-PACE project to date, more than $8 million for Uh, energy upgrades to a commercial office building in Hartford that was closed by Clean Fund in December showing uh, not only is size at play here but also direct investment by uh, private capital which is is our key objective here. Next slide please. Great example of warehousing and co-investment here, we securitized, as was mentioned by Jeff earlier on, a number of VC-PACE benefit assessment liens and and, uh, placed those green bonds with a clean fund. Uh, they took the senior position. We hold two classes of junior bonds and, uh, yes, we will be offering up those B bonds to the market sometime later this year, we hope. Next slide, please. And uh, we got some uh, – if you click again, please. Huh. Uh, click again. I'm not sure what happened there. Okay, well, in any case, we did get some good press on, uh, on that transaction, which for some reason is, is not showing up there. And I did want to point out that um, we've also closed a $100 million facility with Hen and Armstrong, and that facility will enable us to leverage our capital by a factor of $9 for every dollar of public funds. Uh, so we'll be using that facility a lot this year. Next slide, please. Okay, so let's go to uh, the next slide and focus in on uh, co-investment. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, the Green Bank has developed uh, some financi- financing options available to homeowners through program uh, contractors uh, uh, that help make energy upgrades more affordable, including leasing and loan options with little to no out-of-pocket costs. We'll take a look at these in turn, the solar loan, solar lease, and the POSIGEN facility. Next slide, please. Uh, The solar loan facility shown here had three components. Uh, At the front end on the right side of that slide, you see SunGage Financial. They manage 26 contractors who use the product and process loan applications with homeowners, a 15-year loan product repayable, Uh, A 15-year loan product repayable with 6.49% interest, so great product. Uh, In the middle there, you see a $10 million warehouse established by the Green Bank to fund the loans. And at the back end, uh, we used Mosaic, uh, their crowdfunding platform, to sell more than a million and a half loans to more than 1,800 individual investors to refresh the warehouse. Uh, we're now selling the rest of the loans to a community development financial institution, so look for that announcement soon. Next slide, please. So what you see here is uh, needing more capital and seeking to expand beyond Connecticut. SunGage actually graduated from Green Bank support. We're now out of the picture. They arranged a $100 million facility from large Massachusetts credit union So the Green Bank uh, planted the flag, declared mission accomplished here, and moved on. So we're now out of the solar loan business. Next slide, please. Both of those transactions uh, really uh, were quite notable in the market, got some uh, nice presses you see there. Next slide, please. Uh, So here is the solar solar lease uh, structure. We raised $50 million from U.S. Bank as tax equity investor and First Niagara and Webster Bank added the the balance as lenders into the structure. This enabled contractors to compete on price and took the capital sourcing question off the table for these smaller players, these contractors that obviously not like Solar City or any of the other big players just couldn't access capital themselves, we actually uh, play that role for them and uh, with the whole idea is to sending price signals into the market letting these contractors bring the price down do good deals for the homeowners and do do so in a very secure fashion um, we, uh, we will with that has been wrapped up now on the residential side uh, we will have completed about 1500 systems by the time uh, that is uh, that is wrapped up say in another few weeks as the final systems are finally installed. We also use this facility for commercial scale solar, uh, the first of its kind ever to combine residential solar and commercial scale solar in the same platform. Everything from 30 kilowatts to one megawatt and local contractors have installed solar on everything from town halls, community centers, schools, churches, small businesses, uh, several of them secured with our CPay structure. Uh, Adding security for over 20 years, another first in the uh, in in the U.S. financial market. And if you give a click, you should see uh, that we got some good press for that. Well, that's not coming up, but in any case, we did. Trust me, we got some good press on that. <laughs> um, here you will see uh, we're we're moving, making a concerted effort to get solar to lower income bands. Uh, maybe if you click more, we'll have some emphasis there. Yes. So, if you if you look at the the bottom there, where it says 120 percent, 100 to 120 percent, or more than 120 percent area median income or AMI, you'll see that there's good penetration in solar, some uh, around 18 projects per 1,000 households. But if you look at the the banded part. 60 to to 100 percent AMI, much lower penetration of solar. So we're doing two things to try to close that gap. Uh, First, we launched a tiered incentive for low to moderate income residents in August of 2015. And the second thing we did is we uh, were co-investing with Posigen and U.S. Bank to bring Posigen's successful solar plus energy efficiency model to Connecticut. Next slide, please. So what that uh, does is for these uh, uh, income challenged households is to reduce the percentage of household income that is spent on energy from 5% uh, of household income to less than 3.5%. That is meaningful change and the Green Bank and Posigen are making this happen in these economically challenged communities. Next slide please. This is a uh, picture from an event in Bridgeport, Connecticut with POSIGEN. uh, That is Governor Malloy on the right at the home of Susan Young in the middle there. She had a total solar makeover, an EE makeover for her home, sliced her monthly electric bills by more than 80%, and in the process became a POSIGEN salesperson. In fact, I think she sold some solar to the governor (laughs) there that very afternoon. She's quite enthusiastic about her system. Next slide, please and here's the result. Uh, Just take a look. I love this picture. It's solar on those uh, smaller homes there all in a row. Uh, This is is really great progress. Next slide, please. So uh, what's the impact? Just keep moving. Thank you. Uh, As the center column shows, in the last four years of the Green Bank model, we have delivered almost twice the investment that was achieved in 11 years under the subsidy model of the Clean Energy Fund. But more than that, our transactions will result in 925,000 tons of lifetime CO2 reduction. That was achieved in 2015, more than three times the prior year and bringing our four-year total to just shy of 1.4 million tons of CO2 reduction. Next slide, please. If you want to know more, Uh, go to our Comprehensive Annual Financial Report or CAFR. Uh, There's a link at the bottom of this page and the presentation here will be posted, uh, the webinar, so you can go there and find out all about it. It's really full full of rich details on uh, what we're doing at the Green Bank. Uh, Next slide, please. And that will pretty much wrap us up. So with all this uh, really resulted in some good press. We had some fun making up some headlines, but that last one there with President Obama was not made up. He actually did give us a shout out, which we appreciated uh, and anytime you're in the same sentence as Goldman Sachs, you must be doing something right so uh, so that uh, we're going to keep doing the good work at the Green Bank and next slide, please. Uh, if you want to find out more about us there's the website and uh, pleased to take some questions. I do have to uh, cut it short though. Uh, I have to leave a little early because I'm working on our green bond issuance. So, But thank you very much for having me this morning. Thank you so much, Bert. I uh, really appreciate that uh,
1: wonderful uh, presentation. And thank you to all of our speakers for a really rich and informative Discussion, I think, uh, frankly, it's inspiring to see the kind of innovation that all of your organizations are are, uh, experimenting with and using, and I think you can really see the kind of market leadership that green banks are demonstrating and immediately recognize the value that will come from having a network and a platform dedicated to sharing these innovations with uh, key stakeholders from around the world. Um, I also want to say before jumping into uh, the Q&A, because we do have a few minutes left here for questions and answers. That The Green Bank Network will actually be hosting a series of webinars just like this, and the next one will highlight the work being done by our founding Green Bank Network partners from the Asia-Pacific region with speakers from green banks in Malaysia, uh, Japan, and Australia. Uh, So do stay tuned for um, more green banks and more information like this, but addressing different markets. Um, So now I will uh, open it up for Q&A. We've had a a huge number of questions streaming in throughout this, and so I'll – I'll I'll throw out some questions and I'll I'll identify a couple of the speakers that I think might be best suited for answering them or I might uh, throw them out to the whole group. Um, The first one I'll I'll, uh, put out to, I guess, uh, Doug uh, – yeah, maybe the whole group. Um, uh, The question is, do green banks invest only domestically or do they also invest outside their own markets? And do the green banks invest just in projects or will they invest in clean energy startup companies as well? Um, maybe we'll start with uh, Gavin on that.
4: Um, so, from our example, um, you know, we are project investors. We only invest in projects. Um, obviously, we're flexible in the type of capital we provide, um, but we don't invest in uh, companies directly, and we don't invest in early stage startups or venture um, efforts. Um, and with regards to the uh, other question around whether we invest outside of home markets, obviously, we've just. Uh, announced a pilot which is going to be investing internationally, and I think a a reflection on um, the impact that we've had in our home market, the government is keen uh, to try and copy that impact that we've had in the home market to to invest some of its development capital overseas. So I think it really depends on the the situation of uh, of the Green Bank itself, but yes, we are investing locally and now internationally. Michael, how about you for New York Green Bank's perspective?
6: Yeah, very straightforward. Only in the state of New York, only for projects where the beneficiary is in the state of New York, and uh, only in projects. Um, The one comment that I will make is is that we've been involved in several, um, uh, what would you call it, uh, groups of projects where the developer might have uh, a, a large national presence and we've developed, uh, we weren't first, but uh, we've we've developed sort of an appetite for what we call uh, borrowing based facilities where a developer, maybe they have a collateral that uh, nationally or potentially even internationally that they could drop into the borrowing base from which then we will lend against that collateral as long as every dollar that we lend against, uh, those the, the dollar that we lend um, actually makes its way into a project in the state of New York.
1: All right. Very clear. Uh, thank you so much to both of you. a um, no question for Jeff? Doug on the... Uh, Jeff? Yes. Yeah, sorry, go ahead,
5: Doug. Yeah, Jeff, I just actually wanted to just point out, uh, yeah, we, we too are uh, restricted to Connecticut, although we are working on some regional efforts uh, uh, in collaboration with, uh, with New York and, and uh, Rhode Island in particular, uh, as well as other states. Um, but um, we are program and project uh, oriented. Uh, we shy away from venture projects, uh, but uh, we, those, those are off the table for us. But we will use our balance sheet to bring technologies that have been, say, established overseas to the U.S., and two examples of that, we're working on a district energy project uh, in Bridgeport Connecticut that is going to bring a uh, technology from Denmark that's well established over there with uh, with circulating hot water uh, that is uh, that is you know at low pressure and also an Archimedes screw pump for hydroelectric power that uh, will both of those will be brought forward this year or within the next say 12 months great thank you so much Bert. and I think it's um yeah, it's interesting to see
1: how green banks are also, you know, while they might not be investing in, you know, clean tech businesses themselves, they are definitely in the business of deploying new technologies and bringing new technologies to market. And so they're, they're, they they um, you they know, it's uh, they do play across a range of technologies here. Um, maybe we'll turn it over to uh, Doug cuz there's a good question here about the green bank network itself. Um, The question is, are there any plans for green banks and the Green Bank Network to collaborate and align efforts with development banks, multilateral and national development banks, as well as dedicated funds like the Clean Energy Fund in financing the transition to a low-carbon and resilient economy? Uh, The
3: answer to that is um, yes. We're reaching out already to uh, some of the leading DFIs. Um, They have so much to offer in terms of um, both. Uh, the project level um, underwriting projects, um, but also knowledge transfer. Uh, for example, the IDB has done a great job of, of teaching you know local second tier banks how to underwrite renewable energy, and that's really critical to market transformation. So, I think as we uh, continue our diligence, um, talking to you know commercial banks, um, DFIs, um, other kinds of institutions, we're, we're trying to incorporate. Best practices, and not reinvent the wheel. Um, how that develops in terms of you know participation and, and formal partnership, I think that'll be decided by the members down the road.
1: Great, thanks so much, Doug. Um, I have a question for um, for Michael. How open is the New York Green Bank to quote unquote small projects such as community level hydro and similar technologies?
6: Um, It's an interesting question because, of course, one of the issues that we concern ourselves with is is scalability. Where we have begun to bridge that topic uh, we've actually we're in the process of introducing two new RFPs um, and those RFPs will be sort of at the individual project level and the idea is is that uh, even, even though it may be a small project, if we can introduce or develop a, an approach or a financing concept or an analytical basis, from which then there becomes and there gets to be an experience base and a place where the rest of the financial sector can come in and be comfortable with the concept. Uh, we've we've done the job. To, we've done our job in terms of bridging to a to a uh, to to a greater scalable. And and let me give you an example. Uh, one of the areas that we're actively involved in is sort of single building, CNI, energy efficiency, and renewable. And the idea is is that where historically in the past as a developer, we would have expected a developer to come to us with a pipeline of, of say 20 or 25 or $30 million worth of projects. We we are opening the, the spigot now on that so that individual building owners can come to us with individual projects for their buildings um, and uh, propose the project, uh, assuming that it passes all of our our tests that we need for an individual project. Um, we will lend against that. The idea is is that that 's a space right now where local community banks are are not lending they 're not giving credit to the building owner for these uh, energy efficiency and the renewable retrofits and we believe that by establishing a track record by establishing a, a pool of of projects like that that hopefully going forward lenders will get comfortable with that and be able to uh, underwrite those type of projects. So that's an example where historically we may not have necessarily been open to individual projects. We're seeing more and more places where doing things like that is bridging the market to a to a better conclusion, a very scalable conclusion. Um, in terms of hydro, as it was requested, um, historically uh, I, don't, I don't think we have had any uh, hydro hydro projects uh, that we've looked at. Um, though you know we we don't discriminate, and you know would welcome anybody who's interested in submitting uh, a project such as that.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Very uh, detailed answer. Um, And I think it shows the the value of some of the the flexibility in the approach the New York Green Bank has taken to to really finding the market gaps and targeting them. Um, Gavin, a a question for you uh, specifically about the UK. Um, The question is how precisely does the UK Green Investment Bank quote de-risk project investments? Do you take a subordinated position in the capital stack or is it just that you finance a portion of the project thereby lowering the risk of the other financial partners?
4: Yeah, I think I think um, historically, um, you know, back in the early days of the Green Investment Bank, we were quite often the last um, tranche of capital into a, into a transaction. And, and again, mentioning we're agnostic about where we participate in the capital structure. So whether we were needed in debt and equity, we were often the last person then helping to get that transaction over the line. Whereas these days um, we're quite often requested to come in in order to attract other sorts of investors. So whilst we don't take a subordinated position necessarily, um, we are, you know, by our participation in that transaction, they can attract the private sector capital in to make that transaction work more quickly. So it's a slightly it's, – it's not necessarily something that we do as a, a taking subordinated position Um, But, um, you know, we're in that transaction early and we can help de-risk it and attract other private sector investors in quickly.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Gavin. Very uh, helpful explanation. Um, Looking at the clock, I realize we are out of time, which is really unfortunate, because we have uh, many, many dozens more questions that we'd love to be able to get to and uh, hear from our excellent speakers, Uh, but we are up against time and I want to respect everyone's schedules. so first, I want to, again, thank all of our excellent speakers for joining us from all around the world. Uh, I think we got an incredible uh, flavor for the work that green banks are doing around around the world. Um, and thank you to Doug and Reid for highlighting the, the need and the structure of the Green Bank Network that, that we are helping to build now. Uh, thank you to Yale and to Lynn for hosting and uh, managing this webinar. And to all of you for joining us today, please do go to our website. The GreenBankNetwork.org, which is now up and running, where you can sign up to receive updates and uh, get more information. Uh, and you can also check it out uh, as the website grows and uh, the GreenBank Network starts to grow over time. The slides from today's event will also be posted to that website, so you can find them there. And uh, with that, I'll wrap it up and say thank you all again for participating and attending this webinar, and look forward to hearing from you all going forward as the GreenBank Network grows. Thank you again, and enjoy the rest of your day.